Welcome to Season 2 of History, Books, and Wine. We're your hosts, Lori Ann Bailey and Eliza Knight. We love sharing, so pour a glass of vino, and let's dive into the past. Welcome to History, Books, and Wine. We're your hosts, Lori Ann Bailey and Eliza Knight. On this episode, we're going to delve into the past and find out why November 8th was a significant day in history for Hitler. But first, what are we drinking? Eliza, why don't you go before me this time? Okay. I am having a glass of Alberino, which is a smooth white wine. I don't normally drink a lot of white, but I was at a local vineyard called 61 Vineyard uh, this weekend with some friends, and we did a wine tasting, and my friends were swearing that this Albrino was delicious, and I was really skeptical because I'm also not usually a big East Coast wine fan, Mm -hmm. but it actually was very smooth, and I enjoyed it. I drank my whole glass and bought a bottle. (laughs) (laughs) It must have been good. Yeah. Which, that, that reminds me, we have to go back to the winery we went to, because I've been craving that... That wine that had the raspberry in it. I really want to try that again. I'm totally in on that. That was at Fabioli Winery. So we'll we'll have to go back there sometime. But today I'm also doing something different. I am having a Yingling traditional lager. And I decided to go with this today because we're talking about beer halls. And uh, I, I don't drink German beer, but I do drink Pennsylvania beer. <laughs> and Yingling is known as um, the oldest brewery, I think the oldest operating brewery in the United States. Oh, wow. That's so, awesome. I didn't know that. I remember we were talking about Yingling um, when we were at the conference, and I thought it was like an Irish beer from Ireland. And you were like, no, it's local. And I was shocked yeah. to learn that. I guess because... My grandfather loves that beer, so I feel really excited about you drinking that today. And he was Irish, and I thought that everything he did was Irish, but I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe we'll have to uh, go into some history on that and and investigate the uh, people who started the brewery, because maybe they have some Irish roots. I I didn't look into that. That would be a fun episode to do. We can totally do a beer episode. It would be. Hey, history lovers, Eliza here. We're interrupting today's happy hour to let you know that Lori and I host another fascinating podcast with our friend, Brenna Ash. Hey there, this is Brenna. Crime Feast is a true crime podcast hosted by three friends who are obsessed with all things crime. Each week, join Brenna, Eliza, and I as we serve up a platter of murders, mayhem, missing persons, tragedies, and more. Feast on notorious tales ripped from today's headlines and resurrected from the past. Until then, stay safe out there. We don't want you on the menu next. Now, back to the show. Cheers! So, diving into this episode today, I picked today's theme based on the date that our podcast is coming out, November 8th. And when I looked that up, the first thing I saw was two days in Hit- in uh, history that pertain to Hitler. And I thought, oh, that's cool. You know, I want to learn more about Hitler. I want to learn more about World War II. But at the same time, I really didn't know what I was getting into. So originally I was going to talk about 
two reasons this day was uh, special to or significant in the life of Hitler, but I will not have time to discuss both of those. So we're only going to dive into one. Okay. And that is going to be what's called the Beer Hall Putsch that took place in 1923. Mm. Uh, the other the other thing I was going to talk about was an assassination attempt that happened on November 8th, but that was in 1939, much later. So completely different time periods and different backdrops and just can't fit that all into one episode. It's interesting that he would want these both those things on that day. Yeah, well, I... Actually, the the both of them, of course, neither were intended. Uh, oh, okay. Because you know he didn't know about the assassination tip attempt that was going to be. Oh, it was on uh, him. Carried out against. Oh, yeah, it was an it was one uh, that was going to be carried out against him. Oh, okay. But the thing that we're talking about today, and I don't think I put this in my notes, so it happens on November eighth, nineteen twenty three. But that is a timetable that got moved up because of opportunity. Mm. Because the people that he wanted to uh, get to were going to be at this particular beer hall on November eighth, so he moved up his timeline. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wasn't expected. Either so of, it's all a coincidence. It's all a coincidence. The Beer Hall Putsch, like I said, happened on November 8th, 1923. And it was essentially Hitler's attempt to take over Germany. A putsch means coup d'etat or takeover. And at the time, there was a, a big group of people who were angry with the German government and saw it as uh, weak because after World War II, uh, the German government was forced to, after signing the Treaty of Versailles, they were forced to reduce their military, which made it uh, actually easier for rebels in in the country to form troops and, and act out against the government. Hmm. And uh, a quick note is that this is about the time when the Nazi party started to develop, even though it was not known as the Nazi party at this time, with the people that were unhappy with the signing of the treaty. And what this did was the, these groups were just people who spoke out uh, about German pride and anti-Semitism. Since Germany had just come out of losing the war, it, it was a very tough time period for them. So not only were there restrictions on you know their military but also on the things they could produce mm. on the money they could make and on the reparations that they had uh, for to put forward for the other countries mm -hmm. that were that they had signed the treaty with even a german's center of industrialization was occupied by french forces and that was to be certain that the germans were paying off their wartime debts oh wow so yeah, inflation was running like crazy, and it was just really difficult for people at the time to put food on the table. So just the morale of the German people was very low, and it lent itself to people forming these nationalist groups and mm -hmm. trying to make changes. Oh, and what a change it was about to make. Yep. So in comes the National German Socialist Workers' Party. Uh, it was a group of patriotic revolutionaries who believed that it was the right time to try to take over the government. Yikes. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to start talking about this beer hall, but I also want to say that apparently this was the time, you know, when 
and, and I guess it still happens today that a lot of major decisions were made and speeches were given in these beer halls. And I was thinking about it, and I guess that's equivalent to us making plans during a happy hour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because while maybe they didn't have great plans, we have awesome plans that we come do. out of happy hours. Our happy hours are great planning sessions. <laughs> they are. So you could see why they would want to gather in a beer hall yeah. to discuss the politics of the time. And another side note, I'm huge on side notes. I, I realize I say that a lot. I love side notes. Yeah. Apparently, Hitler didn't drink much. Oh. And these events would become very rowdy with lots of fights. Yikes. Hitler was known to take handguns and whips to these Wait, what? beer halls. Yeah. I that violence. Crazy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, another side note there is that our happy hours never get violent. <laughs> and we never have whips. No, I definitely am not carrying <laughs> yeah. weapons. Unless you count a wine bottle as a weapon. <laughs> oh, we could use that yeah. as a weapon. <laughs> if somebody was trying to break in, if we were doing a happy hour in person, we've been known to uh, hold up. Well, that I was just going to say, we <laughs> did have weapons on that one writing retreat, but yes. in our defense, we were camping in, like in a cabin, basically in the middle of nowhere in on Cape Fear River, right? So yes, yeah, I, it was really creepy. It was really creepy and weapons were necessary. <laughs> and there were doors in every oh, room of that house that so went outside. Creepy. So that was really scary. Yeah, too many windows. <laughs> Hitler's plan was to coerce three important men into marching with him against the government. Mm. His plan was to kidnap Gustav von Kahr, who was the state commissioner, and two other officials. And then he was going to have a World War I general named Ludendorff lead a parade through the city. Mm. Yeah, this was inspired by a march that the Italian dictator Benito Mussolini had led oh, no. when he'd been successful in ousting the Italian government. So that guy's bad. Yep, bad news. Yep. Mm-hmm. So on November 7th, Hitler learned that the three men would be at the beer hall. So mm. this is where his uh, timetable got pushed up. Gotcha. And he just couldn't pass up the opportunity to round them all up at the same time. Oof. His plan was to surround the hall and capture the three men. Then he was going to send a signal for his men to capture several other strategic locations around Munich. At around 8.30, Hitler and his men stormed into the hall and he fired a shot into the ceiling, then declared that the National Revolution oh had goodness. begun. Yeah, so just crazy pants. Yeah. Yeah, because he lied to the people in the hall, mm -hmm. saying that the government had already fallen and they were surrounded by 600 troops outside the building. So it was a pretty bold bluff on his part. It was, and also a sign of what a liar he was for everyone else in the future, but I guess they didn't care. Yeah, so the three men were led by gunpoint into a back room where Hitler explained to them that they would need to participate in the march. Uh, he attempted to coerce them, but Carr wasn't having it. He was refusing to do it. So, you know, they were keeping him at gunpoint. And in the meantime, the crowd in the hall was becoming angry and rowdy, as apparently they do in a beer <laughs> hall, especially when they're being held captive. Yeah. And, and considering their past. <laughs> yeah. So Hitler had to go back out to check on them, and he fired another bullet into the ceiling to get their attention. 
Then he made a speech. He was able to convince the men that they should go along with him because while he was an evil guy, he had some mad or or oratorical skills. <laughs> I knew I was going to have problems with that word. <laughs> I would also. <laughs> so his uh, his World War One General Ludendorff arrived and. The three captured men were, somehow he convinced the three captured men to grudgingly give a public consent to the scheme. Mm. And this is where Hitler made the mistake of going to check on other matters in the city. I don't know exactly where he was, but he left Ludendorff in charge. In his absence, all three men escaped the hall and renounced their support of the march. Of course. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh my God, thank goodness he's out of here. Let's get out of here ourselves. Yep. So despite not having the backing that they wanted, the next day, Hitler and Ludendorff began their march with about 2,000 men. Wow. So they weren't going to let the opportunity pass them up because they'd already, you know, shown their hand, I guess, and what they had planned to do. So they couldn't back down. That's a lot of people, too. Yeah, and all those um, people made it through one military checkpoint before getting stuck at a second one where a short gunfight began. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. And there was a man who had his arm linked with Hitler's, because I guess they were marching arm in arm Mm -hmm. and had them, uh, they were all linked together. So the guy next to Hitler got shot, fell down to the ground dead, but he pulled Hitler down with him and Hitler's shoulder was dislocated. Too bad that's it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> too, there's a lot of too bads in Hitler's past that <laughs> too bad. just didn't come to fruition right. <laughs> so in the chaos of the gunfight the march fizzled out and the men ran away oh and I have another side Yay, note here my favorite <laughs> Goering who would later become one of Hitler's uh, top generals was with them and he was shot in the leg oh wow But um, in the chaos and aftermath, Hitler crawled away and Ludendorff kept peacefully marching. But Ludendorff was eventually arrested because he stayed there and they took him. Yeah. Yeah. Hitler was tracked down. I think he had gone to a friend's house. Um, I I can't remember exactly where they found him, but he was also arrested. And then there was a big trial. And during the trial, he used his speaking skills to share his views with the public, which really cemented his place in the hearts of the German nationalist in the country because portions of the trial were made public. Mm. And that just gave him this huge platform, huge platform yeah. to speak from. And, you know, with his, his oratorical <laughs> skills, he was able to um, convince people that they should just be very bad people. I just, yeah, I just... I feel like even if someone was a great speaker and they were telling me I should do bad things, I would be like, no. Yeah. But of course, I've never been in that situation. But I think, like, humanly, I would say no to all those things. Yeah. I I, I have faith in you. I'm pretty sure you would say no. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. So after the trial, he was sentenced to five years in prison. But he only served nine months. And he was uh, locked up this time in some kind of cushy prison that was more like, you know, just being locked in a room versus being locked in a cell. And this is when he wrote Mayan Camp. Yeah. Yeah. While he, his time during prison. And later Hitler would say about his time in this cushy prison cell that uh, 
it was just a time where he had free education at the government's expense. Of course, he would say yeah, something so it, like that. Mm-hmm. And later, when he is declared Chancellor of Germany, he said that this point in time in his life, like during the, the whole Beer Hall putsch, had served for the best propaganda for National Socialism. <sighs> crazy, crazy stuff. That is crazy stuff. The first time I used Instacart was with my sister. We were baking cookies and I'd forgotten the butter. Instacart to the rescue. Now I even use it when we're on vacation so our staples are delivered right to our door. Save yourself that trip to the market. Instacart delivers groceries in as fast as one hour. They connect you with personal shoppers in your area to shop and deliver groceries from your favorite stores. Follow the link in our show notes, and that lets Instacart know we sent you and help support our show. Plus, you'll get free delivery on your first order over $35. There's multiple stores available in most areas. Shop all your favorites on a single order. The products you love from local stores. Hand-selected by shoppers based on your preferences. Delivery to your door in as fast as one hour. Instacart highlights deals to help you save money. Find everything you usually buy and get smart suggestions for new items. They pick the freshest produce and keep your eggs safe too. Let Instacart shop for you. Hello, listeners. This is Lori, and I'm here to tell you that podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. We use Buzzsprout, and it's hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories within minutes of finishing your recording. You'll get a great looking podcast website, detailed analytics, and more. Following the link in our show notes, let's Buzzsprout know that we sent you. Get you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan and help support our show. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. So now we're to the point in our show where we normally do fun facts, but I was thinking about this and really there's nothing fun about Hitler. So these are just (laughs) interesting facts. Nothing fun at all, but definitely intriguing. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, the first one is Hitler was technically not even German. He was Austrian. I always find that surprising. Yeah, he moved to Munich because he didn't want to join the Austrian army. He was a draft dodger moving to avoid service in the military. And then trying to take over the military in another country. What a wacko. Yeah, I know. Totally crazy. Uh, Number two, before he left Austria... He lived in a men's home for people who couldn't afford to live on their own, but he inherited money from his mother and he gave it to his sister who had kids that needed to be fed and he lived in poverty. Wow, that's shocking. Yep, which totally reminds me of Raskolnikov, oh. who is the main character in yes. Crime and Punishment, which makes me wonder if Hitler <gasps> read that book because... Um, and, and took it as a handbook on how to be a crazy psycho. Yes. I hate yeah. Raskonikov. I hate that book. Yep. Sorry, anyone yeah, who loves I, that book. I hate it. No, because I'm <laughs> going to sneak in my personal opinion here, too. <laughs> I don't know why people enjoy this book, and it makes me so angry because it perpetuates horrid Jewish mm-hmm. stereotypes 
which also leads me to maybe Hitler based his life on this book, which oh my gosh, because there's I never really kind of put the similarities yeah. together. I never did either, but I think you're so right. That's so creepy. Mm-hmm. And my third fact is Hitler made a living painting pictures of buildings in Munich and selling them to tourists. What? But I know, crazy. But instead of going to the buildings to paint them, he painted them based on postcards he purchased, choosing to stay at home alone in his room. Okay. So weird. And also, I feel like people who are evil shouldn't have artistic talent. I I agree. But I mean, maybe he didn't have a huge talent for that because, I mean, he was just using the postcards. Maybe he was just copycatting. he, he was copycatting, although, you know, his speaking skills, that's that's really unfair. It's really unfair. Yeah. Uh, and my, my fourth fact is Hitler was originally sent in to spy on the National German Socialist Workers Party. That's the one that later becomes the Nazi party. That's crazy. Yeah, it, uh, the party was originally started by a guy named Drexler. Hmm. So this is where he went in and started drinking the crazy sauce. So <laughs> because I mean he was sent there to spy, not to become one That's of them. That's so weird, yeah. Yeah, he uh he was also mentored by Dietrich Eckhart, who was another co-founder of the party and a poet who wrote really nasty things about Jewish people. Ugh. So all uh awful, awful group that he got involved with. Um, And while he was spying, he became enthralled with their message. And at one point he interrupted a speaker and drove the guy out of the room with his debating skills. Yeah. And that's when the party began realizing how good he was at speaking and he became a face of the party. Wow. So he did it by shouting out one of their own members. And my fifth, Fact is, Hitler was a high school dropout. Not surprised. Yep. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he was a high school dropout, draft dodging, copycatting shouter. Crazy Risk Kosmikov. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yep. Wow. Those were really interesting and disturbing facts. Yes. And I learned some stuff I did not know. Yeah, I know. There's just so much out there on um, Hitler, and there's just so many things changing during that time period right. that it's it's hard to keep up with all of it. Well, and it's amazing to think and terrifying that someone like him was able to make it as far as he did, and that mm-hmm. people just blindly followed him because of what, like, just believing what he said, which is so weird. Yeah. You know, and there's just so many things along the way, like we were talking a few minutes ago, that if things had just happened slightly different, right. you know, the whole world could have been different. You know, if the person next to him had not been shot, if it had right. been him, if he'd been kept in prison the full five right. years he was supposed to be in prison, you know, if, if he hadn't been given in his cushy little cell right. the opportunity to write his book... Or if he'd been caught when he tried to uh, dodge the draft and was made to serve for the Austrian army. Yeah. Or maybe if he'd been a better artist and he could have just painted pictures. Right? Or if he had (laughs) never read that stupid book. (laughs) Yeah. 
oh, I hate that book. <laughs> Sorry for fans yeah. of people who are fans <laughs> of crime and punishment. It's the worst book ever. <laughs> oh. uh, so, Lori, speaking of books, and we're not reading that one ever again, what are you reading right now? I am currently listening to The Keeper of Lost Things. I think it is by Ruth Hogan. Yes. And I'm just going to read like the little blurb yeah. about it because I mean, so far I'm enjoying it. I just started it and it's, it's got a fast pace okay. and very intriguing. Lime green plastic flower shaped hair bobbles found on the playing field. Dairywood Park, 2nd September. Bone china cup and saucer found on a bench in Riviera Public Gardens, 31st October. Anthony Pierdu is the keeper of lost things. 40 years ago, he carelessly lost a keepsake from his beloved fiance, Therese. That same day, she died unexpectedly. Brokenhearted, Anthony sought consolation in rescuing lost objects, the things others have dropped, misplaced, or accidentally left behind and writing stories about them. Now, in the twilight of his life, Anthony worries that he has not fully discharged his duty to reconcile all the lost things with their owners. As the end nears, he bequeaths his secret life's mission to his unsuspecting assistant, Laura, leaving her his house and all its treasures, including an irritable ghost. <laughs> Recovering from a bad divorce, Laura, in some ways, is one of Anthony's lost things. But when the lonely woman moves into his mansion, her life begins to change. She finds a new friend in the neighbor's quirky daughter, Sunshine, and a welcome distraction in Freddy, the rugged gardener. As the dark cloud engulfing her lifts, Laura, accompanied by her new companion, sets out to realize Anthony's last wish, reuniting his cherished lost objects with their owners. Long ago, Eunice found a trinket on a London pavement and kept it through the years. Now, with her own end drawing near, she has lost something precious. A tragic twist of fate that forces her to break a promise she once made. As the keeper of lost objects, Laura holds the key to Anthony and Eunice's redemption. But can she unlock the past and make the connections that will lay their spirits to rest? Wow. It's very intriguing so far. It sounds really intriguing. And I love mm -hmm. things like about treasures. It reminds me of when I was little. My dad had this house on the bay and the man who lived next door passed away and he had no family. So my dad ended up buying the property and mm -hmm. we went through the building and like found like old like apothecary jars and old books oh. and like just lots of neat stuff that really wasn't. Any, nothing really important, but it was cool to see all like the little treasures. Yeah, so tragic and cool at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. So now that you've told us what you're reading, why don't you share with our listeners something that you have written yourself? So today I'm going to read a passage to you guys. Oh, I love that. From 
to save a Highland Center. And just a little background, my heroine in this book is a con artist. And this oh, is fun. just her list of rules. I love it. That, that she has when she goes in to a new scheme. Cool. As she waded out into the stream, the cold of the brook covered her feet and gave her clarity. This was the most carefully planned ruse she'd ever crafted. But still, she had to be able to recall the lessons she'd learned over the years. So she went over the list she knew by heart. Flatter your mark. Everyone loves to hear about themselves and how accomplished and special they are. A flattered fool will like you because they think you have things in common and you have good taste. <laughs> Make them think you're on the same side. Whenever you can, try to team up with them to solve problems or have them help you with one. When speaking with your opponent, using we and us helps your mark associate with you because they think you both wish for the same outcome. Use your target's name. People like hearing their name, and this makes your relationship personal, adding value to your presence. They'll be more likely to keep you by their side and continue talking. Mimic the posture of those whose trust you seek. The more they think you are similar to them, the faster they will open up. Let the mark think they are winning. Doesn't everyone love to win? Yes. This puts them in a favorable mood and more likely to agree with your suggestions. <laughs> Set an urgent deadline. When pressure is applied, one's reasoning is often diminished. Take advantage of a flustered target. <laughs> Your flaws can be a strength. Make yourself sympathetic. Why would people trust someone who couldn't appear vulnerable? <laughs> this one she had down to an art. Being a woman helped, but also she had some serious failings that made her appear fragile. Promise whatever you need to. Promise a meeting with the prince or another businessman. You won't be around to follow through but they don't know that yet. <laughs> I love her <laughs> list. That's awesome. That must have been so I, fun to write. <laughs> it was so much fun to put together. I love that. So good. Yeah. This is one of my favorite stories. I really like that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all this yeah, fun this, stuff today. Yeah, this was a great episode. Despite the, the talk of the tyrant. <laughs> the crazy psycho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, we hope you enjoyed today's episode about the crazy psycho Hitler and his uh, beer hall push. Coming up, we have guest authors Heather McCollum and Leisha Cornwall. Then Eliza will take us to Balmoral Palace and tell us about the pyramid that Queen Victoria had built in memory of Prince Albert. For more information about today's episode, click on the show notes. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HistoryBKSWine for additional historical tidbits and updates. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a review. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to check out our episodes published weekly on Tuesdays. Until next time. Cheers! And happy reading! Happy reading!